Hey everybody, welcome to episode 55 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting now for nearly 30 years. This week I want to talk to you about an amazing find I had last week and because I was doing it anyways, this week I want to talk to you about how to date or age a bottle or glassware. So let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, before we start, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy the episode this week. If you want to support the show, there are many options available from the links in the episode notes below. And if you want to interact with me and the show, that information's in there too. But most importantly, if you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Happy hunting and hello everyone, thanks for listening to this week's episode, starting with updates from my world of metal detecting. If you follow me on Instagram, you will see that I've had the find of this year, and last year for that matter, but before I tell you what it was, I thought I'd cursed myself there for a while because I knew when I started the podcast I would need to have some good finds to bring some form of legitimacy to what I'm talking about, because who would take advice from a guy who finds rubbish on the beach. So yeah, I thought I cursed myself, as I've had very few great finds this year since I started the podcast, and was wondering if the gods of detecting were not looking favourably on me, or was it a case of those that do, do, and those that can't teach. But at last, this week, I had a great find, thank God. I found a sterling silver thimble from approximately the 1820s, making it 200 years old, and still in good condition, with a crack down one side and being slightly deformed, but I love it. It was the second signal of the day with the CTX, and it nearly blew the head off me with a solid 146 on the VDI and audio. I spent the rest of the hunt second-guessing myself about whether it was old or modern, silver or pewter, as its condition was way too good to be on the beach for the last 200 years. As soon as I got home, I started my research. The first thing I did was the spit test. If you don't know this, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but to test if something is silver, spit on it and wrap it up in aluminium foil and it'll heat up and give off a smell of rotten eggs. And sure enough, it did. So I confirmed it was silver, eventually breaking my run of no silver. Woohoo! So once I finished celebrating that little win, I went about researching it and hit on a winner using the technique I talked about last week of using Google Image Search, which led me to a Pinterest page, like last week, full of thimbles, which linked to a page on rubylake.com. And there it was, my thimble, in all its glory. (laughs) I was afraid to look to see the story behind the thimble. But it was there in bold letters, highly collectible. My heart was racing, but I read on to discover that this was a thimble produced by Ketchum and McDougall, producers of high-end silver items with a Louis XV foliate pattern around the bottom of the rim. It is beautiful and will be going on display in the Metal Detecting Show Museum, which has now been moved from the downstairs toilet to the sitting room, or as we call it in Ireland, the good room. If you get a chance, go to the website to check out the picture to have a look. I'm a very proud papi. In other news, we're two weeks into the giveaway and we sit at just over 2,100 entries, so thanks to all who have entered and promoted the podcast in doing so. I have updated both my Buy Me A Coffee page and Patreon pages 
fleshing out the tiers. So check those out as I will be sending out limited edition supporter t-shirts, stickers and more to all future Patreons and Buy Me A Coffee supporters. And I want to take this moment to give my latest Buy Me A Coffee supporters a shout out. So thanks to Brian, Mervyn, Dale, Carl, Zach, GD Zag, Declan and Wayne who have all bought me a coffee in the last while and whose support has gone towards upgrading my microphone from a cheapo condenser type to a dynamic broadcast quality one. I hope you can hear the difference your contributions make and thank you again. And finally, in other news, I have been thinking what to do with all this content I've created and I've decided that in the coming weeks I'm going to write a kid's book about metal detecting. I've been thinking about it for a while and if you've been listening to the podcast, you will know that it was a kid's metal detecting book that influenced and shaped my early metal detecting life. So I thought that's what I should do with it. So watch this space. I want you guys to keep me honest and on task, preventing the long finger of procrastination creeping in. Anyways, on with the main content of the show. So in the last few weeks, in an effort to get the kids interested in the hobby, I have been bringing them on little jaunts mudlarking with various success. I do now have a huge stack of modern, but antique, in inverted commas, broken tiles. But on the other side, I did have my oldest son say to me that he thinks mudlarking might be his favourite new hobby, just as he finds an old shoe leather sole, possibly turn of the 20th century. So, success. But because of the kid's new interest in mudlarking, we've been spending a little time looking at Nicola White and Cy Finds on YouTube. If you're listening to the show, guys, I would love to have you on for the crack. Anyways... We now have a fascination and a hunger with looking for old bottles, but most importantly, we have our hit list, and that's a Hamilton torpedo bottle, very unlikely, or most likely a blue poison bottle, or even some stoneware to put on display. I know I've touched on this before in episode 8, where I dedicate a small paragraph talking about maker marks and pontal marks, but as I'm in the bottle rabbit hole now, I thought I should do a specific episode on how to date or assign an age to a bottle. So, firstly you need to know how the bottle was made and look for signs of the manufacturing process. Was it hand-blown or made by machine? If it was hand-blown, it's most likely produced prior to the invention of the ABM or automatic bottle machine in 1892. Prior to that, hand-blown bottles were produced by blowing molten glass into a mould of wood or iron, with the glass blower finishing off the bottle by adding a neck and a lip by hand before the bottle cooled. And as you can imagine, this was a very labour-intensive process due to the high demand of glass packaging during the Industrial Revolution. So obviously, the manually produced physical attributes can be used to date a bottle prior to the ABM. We will go through these physical attributes and how they pertain to the age of the bottle. So, what physical attributes am I talking about? Well, we're talking about colour, how it was closed, the shape of the base, the shape overall, and what seam was left by the moulding process. Starting with the seam, the seam is left behind by the moulding process, as I said, and generally the older the bottle, the thicker and rougher the seam will be. That's why when you look at a modern bottle, you can barely see a seam as advances in manufacturing technology has made this seam almost invisible. If the seam travels through the lip of the bottle, it is safe to say that the bottle has been produced post-1910. However, if the seam only travels to the neck but not the lip, then this bottle was produced between 1880 and 1910. You can see that the lip is an integral part of the ageing investigation of bottles, 
and there are other clues held in the shape and structure of the lip. As I said previously, the lip was added manually post moulding and were generally rough before the introduction of the lipping tool in 1880, but prior to that you can age a bottle by looking at its lip shape. With a flared or sheared lip being popular between 1830 to 1850, with a round band, a square band, a taper, a blob, whatever that is, I can't find out what that is, a double collar and rolled lips popular from 1840 to 1870. Then in 1870 to 1910, lips were tooled with a round ring, but also the slow addition of the screw top with a rough lip began between 1860 and 1910. Everyone wants a blue poison bottle because we assume blue glass means old glass, but that's not accurate as the colour of the glass can only give an approximation of the age and isn't useful in aging the bottle at all really. But saying that, there is some correlation to some colours to age. For example, aqua glass was mostly used between 1850 to 1880s. Purple and red glass was mostly in use from the 1840s to the early 1880s. Black glass, which originated in Europe in the early 17th century, but was also in use in the 1840s to the 1880s. And finally, clear glass or colourless glass, which only appeared around the 1870s. How the bottle was closed can give another clue to the age, as corks were exclusively used since the 18th century till the addition of the crown top in the 1890s, which were then the norm till screw tops took over in the 1860s and were fully adopted with the addition of the ABM. You might wonder where all those glass stoppers come from when you look at a bottle collector's collection or watch the mudlarks pick them up on YouTube. Well, glass stoppers were only used on bottles that were to be reused, such as a sauce bottle, a perfume bottle or wine decanters, and can age as far back as 1500 BC, hence their popularity. Another stopper you will see people lose their mind over is the highly collectible Vulcanite stoppers. Invented by Henry Barrett in 1872, these hard India rubber stoppers were used for a hundred years and became highly collectible due to being moulded with product manufacturers' logos and brands adorning the top. These were still in circulation till the 1970s and some people dedicate their lives to collecting them. I would like one in my collection, I would think. The physical shape of the bottle can have a clue to the age as well. And when I'm talking about the physical shape, I'm including any embossing or maker marks or base shape here. For example, initial glass bottles had a base that was pushed up much like a modern wine bottle today, but originated in the 1820s and before 1855, bottle bases displayed an open pontil mark, which looked like a rough, irregular, colourless hole in the bottle's base. From 1845 to 1860, makers started to use an iron punty rod, which resulted in a reddish or brown hue at the break point of the pontil mark. From there we get into key mould bottle bases between 1850 to 1870. This was a semicircle indent crafted at the base of the bottle. These styles of bases continued till the addition of the Owens Ring bottle base in 1904, which was fully utilised by 1917. Embossing and maker's marks have been used since the beginning and are probably the easiest indicator to use help data bottle. However, these require a wanting you to research them and there is too many variations to include in a year's worth of podcasts. 
but it is the embossing and maker's marks that make most of these bottles so collectible and worthy of the time to investigate. So the hand-blown bottle era ended during the mid-1920s when machinery took over all bottle production. Remember that all machine-produced bottles have their mould seams go completely upward over the bottle's lip. And for me, a Hamilton torpedo bottle has to be the holy grail of bottle hunters. That's it for this week. I hope you liked this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Check out our website, www.metaldetectingshow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Actually, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can do so now at buymeacoffee.com forward slash metaldetecting. If you'd like to leave me a voicemail, please do so on speakpipe.com forward slash the metal detecting show. The link will be in the show notes. And if you feel like taking your appreciation to the next level, feel free to leave me a positive review on any podcast directory of your choice. If you like this content and would like more, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will chat to you all again next week. Get out there, eyes down and happy hunting. Happy hunting.